So we are in a series that we call it fake news, fake news. It's, you know, inaccurate, falsehood statements. And the premise of it has been, you know, around the things that sometimes we say to people or somebody has said to you, something that God said that and you've come to discover that, man, I, this isn't happening for me or this isn't working out for me in my life to, you know, to what somebody said that God said. And it's just not doing what, for me what I thought it would do. And, and for many of those um, situations, it's because God never said it. God never said those things. And so we've been looking at some things that we think that, you know, God wants for us that maybe isn't our primary goal. And, and the first week, and this is hard to hear, I know this doesn't sit well for us sometimes, but God's primary goal for you, God's primary goal for you, is it for you to be happy? Um, it's not, it's not really, it's God's primary goal for you is for you to know him. That's his primary goal is for you to know him. And then when you know him, it says that you'll be blessed, which that word means more than happy, more than happy. And so when we look to the things of this world for happiness, you know, more, more money, more possessions, better stuff, better different relationships, you know, better, you know, uh, appearances, we think that that's going to bring happiness and we think that that's what God wants for us. And it's not always necessarily what, what God wants for you, but what God wants for you more than anything else is that he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. That's what he wants for you. And so, and then last week we looked at one that's always hard to hear is that, um, you know, we always, well-intended people say it, you know, maybe you've said it before, but, you know, we say, well, God never, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's, that's a misquote uh, from First, uh, First Corinthians 10. Uh, and and, and what, what the Apostle Paul was talking about is that, well, God won't give you more temptation you know, than you can handle, that God will give you a way out and escape from temptation because temptation we can control, uh, but troubles and, and difficult circumstances in our life we can't control. And so sometimes we do get more than we can handle. Sometimes God does allow for us to have more than we can handle for the reasons of so that we trust him more, so that we depend on him more. That's, those are the reasons why God sometimes will give us more than we can handle. And when you trust God more, when you depend on God more, man, I'm telling you that even though your external circumstances may not be all that great, but your internal life uh, will be will be where God wants us to be uh, in, in its complete dependence on God. And that he says sometimes it's, he uses or leverages the weaknesses of our, of our lives. He leverages the difficulties of our life for his glory. And that when you are at your weakest, you're strong because you have the power of Christ that rests upon you. And that's good news too. And that's what we need more than anything else is the, is the power of Jesus and the strength of God in our life. And sometimes that comes when we're at our weakest moments. And so, um, so today we're going to uh, talk about something, in it, and before I do, um, it, it, it originates from a story. It originates from a story of a farmer who is riding, minding his own business, riding in his cart, led, you know, by, pulled by, you know, some horses. And as this farmer's going down the road, um, it, the farmer gets stuck in the mud. And as the horses are trying to pull the cart you know, the, 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 the cart wheels keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the mud. And finally, the horses can't, they don't have enough strength to pull this, this cart out of the mud. And it's just sunk down deep into the, into the mud where the wheels won't turn anymore. And so the farmer gets out of the cart and he begins to pray. He prays something along the lines of, help me, God. Help me, help me get out of this situation. Help me get out of this situation. 
and then he, nothing happens. He's just sort of, you know, no, nothing changes. He's still stuck in the mud, you know. He's still, his cart is still stuck in the mud. And he prays again. He said, you know, please help me get out of this circumstance. Help me get out of being stuck in the mud so I can continue to move on. And then Hercules shows up. Hercules appears. And Hercules makes this statement to the guy because the guy is just sort of praying and he just makes this statement. Hercules says, the gods help those who help themselves. This is from Aesop's fable, the story of Hercules and the wagoner. This is a, a story that was uh, told, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years even before Jesus was alive. And this statement is, is where they think that this statement came from. Benjamin Franklin also made this statement. Benjamin Franklin made this statement in his, in his almanac, poor Richard's almanac, 1736. He made this statement, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. And so this has been, and, and uh, you know, about 20 years ago, somebody pulled a bunch of Christians. Uh, I don't know if they did a survey in a church, but they asked Christians, they said, is this statement that God only helps those who help themselves, is that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? 68% of Christians said yes. That statement that God only helps those who help themselves, that statement is in the Bible. That is a false statement. That is contrary to the message of Christianity. That is contrary to the good news of Jesus. That is contrary to the story of God. That the, the fact that we think that God only helps those who help themselves. And maybe you have said this. Maybe you have told somebody this at one point or another. You know, I know that they are, don't seem to be doing things on, you know, for themselves. They seem to be, you know, kind of making a mess of their, of their life and their situation. And you come up with this well-intended statement that says, you know, I just want you to know that God only helps those who help themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. There are responsibilities that we have as people. There are responsibilities that we have as, as disciples and Jesus followers. And when it comes to, you know, having a better life and having a life that God has intended for us. But this is ultimately, when we think that God only helps those who help themselves, this is contrary to the gospel of Jesus, the story of God. I want to give an example of that in, in the scripture. And we're going to look in John chapter 5. If you brought a Bible, great. You can open it up to John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 5. There's a Bible somewhere around your seat, maybe. If you don't own a Bible, you can have this one of these Bibles that we have in our seat around you. But we want to do better than that if we want to get you a better Bible. So if you don't own a Bible, let me know and we'll get you a better Bible. But we'll also have the Sky Bible. I call it the Sky Bible uh, up out there on the screen for you. And so let's look to John chapter number 5. Now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. A pool. Now this was an intermittent spring kind of pool this was a natural naturally made pool that would that that formed near the what they say in Jerusalem near the sheep gate which is called Bethesda which they named it you know Bethesda in Hebrew Bethesda which means you know house of house of mercy house of mercy is what they what it would but that means and it had five porticos or or porches around this this pool next verse and these Lay in these lay a multitude of those who were look look who's gathered around this pool of those who were sick, blind, lame, 
and withered, or, or in other words, maybe paralyzed, or, or we can, and we can describe all of these people, blind, sick, lame, withered, and there was a multitude of them gathered around this pool, and we can describe them as those who were helpless. Do you agree? These were helpless people. They were blind, and they were sick, and they were lame, and they were probably some of them were deaf. And they, You can just think about any ailment and any illness or any terrible circumstance. These people were absolutely helpless. Then it goes on, the rest of the verse in verse 3. Now, I want you to pay attention to the brackets. You see the brackets on, um, at the beginning of these verses and at the end of these verses? Everybody see these brackets? Nod, yes, they're yellow. Okay, good. Okay, here's what the rest of the verse 3 says in all of verse 4. Waiting for the moving of the waters. And then it says in verse 4, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first... After the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, first observation from this is, is this. The parents of these helpless people are probably really angry at this point. Because this is not an opportunity for their child to get a participation award. It, you know what I'm saying? You see it, right? Like, it, this was like, this was between those who got in first in the pool and those who got in first in the pool when the waters were stirred, they were the ones that re received healing. So you got to imagine, you know, some really upset parents. You're saying that my kid, you know, even though he or she participated, uh, am I ruffling feathers right now if anybody, he or she participated, that they don't get a medal? I mean, you're telling me that the only thing that they, the only ones that get the reward is the first place winner. When my kids started playing sports, you know what, what I observed? That there was something missing. There was something missing when I started, my, my kids started playing sports. You know what that was? A scoreboard. A scoreboard. Anybody, other parents, notice the scoreboard missing? Like, and I don't know, I'm like, I'm, I can, maybe I'm irritating some, some parents right now. But the, like the scoreboard was missing. I'm like, well, how do you know who wins? Well, we don't really want the kids to know. It's not really about winning and losing. I'm like, what is it about then? Like, these are things that I don't, I'm still trying to understand, you know. Like I've been known for denying participation medals. Remember, boys? Remember you guys took second in that, in that basketball league? I don't even know if you guys knew this or not. But they tried to give you participation medals, and I denied them. So if you're missing a medal, it's because of me. I said, no way. I said, nope, they didn't win. They took second. No thank you. So maybe you don't want me to coach your kid. I, I, I can understand. If you never want me to coach your kid, I, I, I understand it. But listen, these were for those who got in the pool first. And those who got in the pool first were the ones that were healed. Now here's a second thing. And most, more importantly, I just went on a little random parent tangent there. But the other thing is this, is that if you notice the brackets... This was something that uh, from the earliest of, of the Greek manuscripts, of the earliest writings of, of, in this example, John, in John's earliest writings, these verses, the second part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 were omitted. omitted. They weren't in John's original writings. 
Later, as, as scribes would you know, make copies and copies and copies and copies of the scripture, that they would, in order for, uh, for the reader, for us to better understand the situation or better understand the circumstance, they would add in, they would add in parts of you know, the, the text that would sort of clarify of why there were, in this case, a multitude of people who were helpless gathered around this pool to sort of explain of what they believed as the why the waters were stirred. And so the scribes would add these in, and that's why you, in your, in your, in your Bible, that's why they're in, you know, these brackets, to, just to say that these were added on later to help us understand. This happens in our text everywhere. There's, there's parts in our text that they add words. In my Bible, the NASB that I use, they're in italicized, just to, just to make it to where it's an easier read for us so that we can best understand the scripture, because that's what's most important, Right? That we understand the word of God and that we understand the context. And so later, not John, but other scribes added these verses to help us understand. Now, here's what they also wanted us to understand, too, for adding these verses. This was a superstition. This was, a, this was fake news. This was a falsehood, now listen to me, this was a falsehood that people believed. Not just a few people, but it says that there was a multitude of people who believed that periodically, and there was no schedule, you know, there was no schedule where an angel would come, and when the angel would come and sit in the water, that the waters would be stirred and that those who got in first would be healed from this angel. This was a false belief. This was, a, this was fake news. This was the assumption that this actually happened. And what most likely happened, based on people that are much smarter than me, based on scholars, they would say that the water that would intermittently spring up from the ground would have caused the water to stir, and that those that were gathered around the pool would jump in as quickly as possible. And, and there may have been one situation where somebody was healed, from their disease or somebody was healed from their ailment and they, they believed for who knows how long that it was because an angel came down from heaven, got into the water, stirred the water and healed people. That's what they all believed even though it wasn't true. Huh. I wonder if there's some things that we believe that we're pretty sure of, that may not actually be true. That I wonder if there's some things that we think that God says that God never said. And so, to help us understand this, Jesus comes along, and that, just to give us a, a picture now of verse 5, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Can you imagine? There was a guy there, one of the multitude of people that were there, and he was ill for 38 years. I mean, I can't wait 38 seconds for my webpage to load. Anybody else? 
Like, I can't, I can't wait, like, 38 minutes for me to finish a workout I want it to be over with. Anybody else? Like, 38 years this guy was ill. And this guy came, and this guy came to the, to the pool every, probably every single day, hoping to get his chance to be the first one in the water when the water was stirred so that he can be healed for the first time in 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. Boy, don't you, aren't you glad that Jesus shows up? Aren't you glad that we have a, a God who loves us? By the way, Jesus saw him and knew for a, that he was in that condition for a long time. Aren't you glad that you can put your faith in a Jesus who sees you and he knows your long time commitment? Come on, everybody, anybody? He, he knows your condition. He knows your, your, what you're going through. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows where you feel helpless in certain areas of your life. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is willing to step in? Maybe you're going through a health issue. Maybe you're going through an emotional thing. Maybe you're experiencing a loss in your life. Maybe you're going through a financial hardship. Maybe you're experiencing some sort of relational tension. I don't know what your situation is, but I, I know this, that Jesus knows your situation. That Jesus sees you and he knows what you are going through. And you've been going through this a long time. You've been battling with something for a long time. He sees and he knows. And I just want you to know that Jesus interrupts to initiate help. So in areas of your life where you feel like you can't seem to get ahead, in areas of your life where you feel like you can't seem to make any progress, in areas of your life where you feel like you just seem to be you know, underwater and you just can't get your head above water, I just want you to know that you, we put our faith in a Jesus who interrupts to initiate help for every single one of us. I mean, imagine this guy is at this pool and he's waiting to get into the pool and then all of a sudden here comes Jesus. Why? Because Jesus sees him, Jesus knows him, and he's willing to interrupt his process to initiate help for you. And I don't know where you are at in your life, but I just want you to know something. That God will oftentimes interrupt your life to begin to initiate help where you need it the most. That God will sometimes initiate. Um, there was a, a, a story in an interview years ago with a, a writer who was uh, interviewing Mike Tyson. And, and they asked Mike Tyson, they said, do you go into your boxing matches with a plan? And do you think that your opponent goes into their boxing matches with a plan? And Mike Tyson says, yeah, yeah, I go in with a plan until, until I get punched in the face. Anybody else feel like you have a plan in life and you're going through your life until you get punched in the face? 
And then that sort of alters your plan a little bit. That sort of messes around with your purposes or where, the direction that you're trying to go. Did you know that Jesus is willing to interrupt you? Jesus is willing to step in the middle of your mundane life, in your life that we strive for comfort and security, in your life where you feel like you're just going to be content with the status quo, that Jesus is willing to interrupt and to initiate help for you? That this is the kind of Jesus that we have. He's saying, listen, I, I want to I help. I want to help. I, I don't want you to keep, you know, showing up to the pool and trying to wait for, you know, some, you know, lie of an angel coming into the pool. I don't want you to continue to live in that anymore. I'm willing to interrupt and to initiate help for you. As a matter of fact, this is the story of the gospel. This is the story that is told all through scripture. That when Moses, remember when Moses, you know, he was in, in a palace and grew up as a prince. And then he murdered some guy and then he ran away. And it says that he was in Midian and became a shepherd for 40 years. And then what, what happened while Moses is shepherding sheep? God interrupts his life. And God shows up through a burning bush and says to Moses, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the cries of my people. And I'm sending you, Moses, to deliver my people out of their oppression. To deliver my people out of their captivity. What was God doing? God was interrupting Moses in the moments where Moses was just going to settle in on life. And be content with just shepherding sheep. And God says, I've got a better plan for you. I've got a better plan for you. And here's the deal. God's got a better plan for you. Even when you get punched in the face in life, God's got a plan for you. I mean, we can go on and on and on. I mean, you know, David, King David, you know, he was just this shepherd boy. You know, sort of the runt of the family. You know, there was a prophet who knew that one of, you know, uh, you know Jesse's boys was going to be king. And he came and showed up to Jesse's house. Jesse didn't even invite David to the lineup. David wasn't, the prophet's like, Jesse, don't you, do you have another son? Because I don't, I'm not getting the impression that this is going to, these boys are going to be your next king. And Jesse's like, these are the best boys I got. You can't be talking about David, are you? And the prophet says, bring them in. And David shows up. Little runt David shows up. He says, that's him. One day his brothers were out fighting a battle. They were getting ready to fight against the Philistine battle, you know, Philistine army. The Philistines were on one side and God's nation, nation of Israel was on the other side. And David was going out to bring lunch to his brothers. And he goes and shows up and he sees this, this giant named Goliath taunting the God's people. And David says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? You don't, you don't know, who, you, you know who we are? We're God's chosen people. We're going to let this, this Philistine giant taunt us? And so David got probably an interruption from God in his life to say, you know what? Take him on. Challenge him. And that's exactly what David did. David allowed God to interrupt his life and to initiate help for his people. And David slayed that giant. I mean, we can go on and on and on. We can talk about the, you know, Saul, who was a persecutor of the church. Uh, someone who hated Christians. And then one day, while, while Saul was going to arrest Christians, and probably associating murdering Christians, Jesus interrupts 
and meet Saul on the road to Damascus. And Saul turns his life around for Jesus. And he's now known as the Apostle Paul, who has done, has done so much for Christianity. I'm telling you, we have a Jesus who's willing to interrupt, to initiate help for us. Because he's got a better plan for you. Jesus is in, interested in interrupting wherever necessary so that you can see where your hope can be found. Not in some sort of falsehood or false belief of anything, but your hope is found in him. It's not found in a pool stirred by angels. It's found in the person of Jesus. It says in Romans 5, 6, it says that while we were still helpless, don't you love that? That while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That while you were, that God demonstrated his love for us, that while you and I were still in our sins, that Christ died for us who were helpless. That God is willing to help those, even those who can't help themselves. The story goes on. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, now, this is interesting for me. Hopefully it is for you. He said to him, do you wish to get well? Now, Jesus, come on. What do you think they're there for? Like, what do you think they're hanging around the pool you know, this guy for, was 38, you know, for ill for 38 years. What do you think that they're hanging around the pool for? Why would Jesus want to, why would Jesus ask that? Why would Jesus say, hey, 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 you know, do you, sir, sir, do you wish to get help? Like, in other words, here's what I think he was saying. He was, here's what I think he was saying. Jesus was saying, hey, 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 do you really want help? Like, do you really want to get better? Do you really want to have victory in your life? Do you really want to improve as a man, as a husband, as a father? Do you really want to be better, you know, better at work or a better boss or a better colleague? Do you really want the help? You know, there's lots of things, you know, there's lots of things, there's lots of options for us that I don't know if we really mean business when it comes to wanting to get help. Which, by the way, Jesus helps those from the inside out. Let's just know, know that for, for certain. Jesus helps those from the inside out. That Jesus is interested in helping, but Jesus wants to help you internally even before he wants to help you externally. But you know what we want? We want the external changes, don't we? We want the external changes. We want the things that we can see. We want the things that will improve us, you know, our, our external quality of life. And we have oftentimes a pool of options when it comes to changing or making a better circumstances externally. We have an option of self-talk, self-talk. You know what we do? We do, we, and, and there's nothing wrong with self-talk, but I just want you to know that that's not the help that you need. Self-talk is, I can do it. I got this. This time, it's gonna 
be different. I swear that I'm not going to do it anymore. I swear that I'm not going to continue to go down that path. I swear that it's, it's, t- tomorrow I, it's going to be different. I'm going to you know, get up earlier. I'm going to have this routine. I'm gonna, how many times have we self-talked ourselves into something it never sustains? Is this true? It never sustains. We're good at the self-talk. But Jesus is saying, listen, listen. Self-talk is fine, and you should do that for yourself. But it's never going to sustain if that's all that it is. Maybe for you, it's an option is sympathy. It's sympathy. Maybe you were hoping for some sympathy. Maybe you're hoping for somebody to feel bad for your circumstance. Maybe you're just going after, man, I, I, just, I just want somebody to just, you know, notice what I'm going through. Or maybe it's someone else's fault. Maybe you're in the situation and you think, you know, I, I didn't do this. I, it's not, I didn't make this, you know, it's somebody else's fault. You know, my, my dad wasn't there for me. He, you know, he was never present in my life. I, you know, it's somebody, it's somebody else's fault. If, if I only, you know, were given a better, you know, hand in, in, in life, then, you know, things would be different for me. And we always just sort of point the blame to someone else. Or maybe it's some self-help resource that you're re- relying on. Something that you just continue to listen to or read and, you know, try to just improve your, the quality of your life by looking to other things in this life, other resources in this, in this world that you think is going to better your situation. And Jesus is saying to you, he's saying, listen, I want to help, but we're starting from the inside out. We're starting from the inside out. You know what Jesus cared about more than anything else, more than any other external circumstance? He cared about your heart. What mattered most to Jesus was what's going on inside of your heart. Because what often happens when we go through situations that are out of our control, when we go through circumstances that where we feel helpless, it affects our heart. It affects our heart. We allow things in our heart to take, you know, to, to take resident in and harbor inside of our heart. And Jesus is always, always interested in the heart. And Jesus would, would warn people, hey, hey, you know how, what defiles a man? It's not, be, not that they you know, wash their hands ceremonially, wash their hands. That's not what defiles a man. What defiles a man or a woman is what's going on inside of their heart. And sometimes we allow, we allow our difficult situations and our difficult circumstances to affect our heart. To affect our heart when it comes to pride, when it comes to, you know, maybe greed, when it, when it comes to, you know, self-loathing or selfishness or self-centeredness, it affects our heart. And Jesus was interested in this guy's heart. Hey, do you really want to get better? Do you really want help? Do you really want this change in your life? Do you really mean business? Because what Jesus is going to do is that Jesus is going to go after and he's going to bring up to the surface some things in your heart that may be uncomfortable and may be difficult for you to work through. But that's what he's interested in. I I just want you to know, 
I just want you to know that Jesus is interested in helping you, but he's going to begin from the inside out. Inside out. Now, verse 7 says this. The sick man, so Jesus says, do you wish to get help, get well? Verse 7. The sick, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. He says, sir, I, every time I try to get into the pool, somebody else beats me there. Every time I try to, you know, get, somebody, you know, get in there, I'm always, you know, beaten by somebody else and they step in before, before me. And then Jesus does what Jesus does best. And that is Jesus helps with the intention to exceed our expectations. You see, Jesus wasn't there to say, hey, listen. You know, he says in, in verse number eight, Jesus said to him. Now, Jesus didn't say to him, hey, hey listen, listen. I, I, know, I know the angel. I, I know the angel, you know. I, you know, you know he, he didn't say this. I have the angel's schedule. I'll give you a 10-minute head start, wink at you, then fall into the pool. Like, that wasn't what Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you know, Jesus didn't say to him, you know, like, you know, I know him personally, you know, and, you know, and I'll, I'll put in a good word for you. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse number eight, he said this, he said, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. He says, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Jesus always helps with the intention to exceed our expectation. Jesus helps always with the intention. This guy was just hoping for somebody just to pick him up and put him in the pool. And Jesus always has better for us in mind. Jesus isn't you know, give, wanting to give you another you know, self-help motivation thing. Jesus isn't always interested in just you know, giving you something that will just make you feel better, or some sort of you know, thing that will help you sleep better at night or anything. Like Jesus is, wants to do better than that. His intentions are to exceed our expectations. That's what he wants to do. And so he says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to pick you up and put you in the pool. That's not what, what I'm here for. He says, I, I'm, I'm here to restore you. I'm here to give you life. I'm here to give you grace. I'm here to give you love. I'm here to give you forgiveness. That's what I'm here to do. Listen, you don't need a pool. You need the person of Jesus. You don't need the stirred water. You need the living water. That's what you need. And that's what we all need. And that's what Jesus wants to do in and through you. Is that he wants to offer himself to you. Not another plan. Not another, you know, prescription. Not another anything other than the fact that he has something amazing to give to you. And he, his intentions are always to exceed our expectations. That's what he's here to do. He's the living water. For every single one of us. So trust him. Rely on him. Put your faith in him. Because he's the one. Regardless of your circumstance. And regardless of the situations where you feel helpless. He's the one who's willing at anything. At any cost to help you. He doesn't just only help those who help themselves. 
He's willing to help anyone, anyone who really, really, really want his help. So my question for you is this, a couple things before we, we finish up, a couple things. Do you have the helper in your life? Do you have the helper in your life? In, in, in John 16, here's what Jesus said. He said this, he says, but I tell you the truth. He says, it is, your, it is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, here's telling his disciples, guys, listen, eventually I'm going to leave. Eventually I'm going to get out of here. He says, but I'm, I want you to know something. It's to your advantage. And now he's looking at us and he's speaking to us right now, right here in this moment, saying, listen, it is to your advantage that the person of Jesus is not here. He says, why? He says that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. My question for you is this. Do you have the helper in your life? Do you know that when Jesus ascended into heaven and is now at the right hand of the, of, of the Father, he sent the, the third person of the Trinity named the Holy Spirit, and he has come and has reside in your life, in your heart, that you are the temple of the living Holy God. It is the Spirit of God inside of you. By the way, Jesus described him as the helper. He's the helper. So when you're in feeling helpless, you need to know that you have inside of you the helper who will help you, who will guide you, who will lead you, who will steer you, who will sometimes convict you, challenge you into getting the help that you need and the help comes from him he's your helper so if you're not feeling or sensing or getting in your life the sense of you're getting help from God maybe you need the helper maybe you need to receive Christ as your savior and receive the gift that God gave to every single person who put their faith in Jesus and he's called the helper do you have the helper do you have the helper the other thing that I think can help us is, is this. Look at what he says in Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, Jesus is that high priest. And Jesus can sympathize with our struggles. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. In other words, he's experienced it. He's lived it out. He's felt the temptations. He understands what it means to fight against addictions. He understands what it feels like to experience loss and hurt and pain. He understands what it feels like to be disappointed and feel anxiety and feel depressed. He gets that. He understands all of that. That you have a God who understands what you're going through. Aren't you glad that we have a God who understands what we're going through? Aren't you glad that we have a God who left heaven to come to this earth to put on flesh and blood and experience temptation like we experience it, to experience hurt like we experience it, to experience disappointment like we experience it, to know what it means to have their back turned, to know what it means to be betrayed, to know what it means to be walked out on, to know what it means to have, you know, anguish and anxiety and worries and concerns? Aren't you glad? that we have a God who sympathizes with you who knows what you're going through by the way he sees you and he knows you and he knows what's going on and I know it's been a long time that you've been going through this but he knows what's happening 
And he's willing to interrupt your life and to initiate help. And he wants to know if you really want help because he's going to start from the inside out. And by the way, he's, his intentions are to exceed your expectations. Whatever you think that Jesus can do or should do in your life, he will do better than that for you. He will do better. He will always exceed our expectations. So you can go. Look at what it says in verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Let's go, I love the other versions of scripture. Let's go boldly, right? Let's go with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You, you can find it. You can find help. You can get grace for your circumstances every single day you can get it. You can go boldly, go confidently to the throne. Come on, church. You need help. The throne is open for you. You need help. God is available. You think he doesn't understand? He understands what you're dealing with. Every one of us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that you are willing to interrupt and initiate help. And God, that you are always interested in helping when we mean business and when we need help, that you're interested in beginning and working from the inside out. And we can trust, we can trust that you will do abundantly more you will do exceedingly, abundantly more, all than, than we, what we can even ask for or what we can even think. God, that you will exceed our expectations. That's always, always, always your intentions. We thank you that we can come confidently, even right now, even right now in this moment. God, as we sit here together, we can come confidently to your throne. And as we approach your throne, we get mercy. As we approach your throne in this moment, we get grace. And God, you're willing to extend help to every one of us. To give the help in the areas where we need help. In the areas where we feel helpless. You extend that help to every single person. So Father, I pray, Lord, that we all have the helper inside of us the helper that even intercedes for us when we don't even know how to pray. We're not even sure what to say in those moments of our life where we feel completely helpless. It's your spirit that speaks to you. It's, our, it's your spirit that, that speaks and, and, and makes you know and aware of our circumstances, what, what we can't say on our own, that your spirit speaks for us. We thank you for that help that we need. God, help us to come confidently confidently and knowing that you will exceed, exceed our expectation. You did that for that man who was ill for 38 years and you've been doing it for people ever since. And we, you still are doing that for us. God, we really need you. We need your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, everybody.